without having to sing high. I thought he nailed it. That was good. That was very good. After singing all morning, yelling at Nicole all afternoon, <laughs> singing in choir practice, singing through congregationals, you'd think his voice would be thrashed, but that was, that was excellent. Very good. I'm going to continue the Hebrews series, so if, you can, if you'd stand and turn to Hebrews 13, not trying to to uh, steal any of these texts, so Pastor can re-preach the same text next week if he wants. He's been preaching through the book of Hebrews, and so I'm just continuing where he left off. Last week was verse 6, so that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper, and that was the concept of last week, and so I'm going to continue from then um, on to this next kind of chunk of scripture, these next, um, these next ideas here, and so Hebrews 13, 7 through 16 or, or so in there. And remember, this is a Jewish Christian audience. Obviously, the title of the book is Hebrews. So we're writing to Hebrew people coming out of, of Judaism and Hebrew um, mentalities that are there. And so Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7 says, Remember them which have the rule over you. And man, pastor was really wanting to preach that verse right there. Hey, <laughs> who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. Be not carried about with diverse and strange doctrines. We don't know exactly what diverse, what different and strange doctrines he's referring to. He doesn't necessarily say but apparently they were dealing with something. And so from their, from their Jewish mentality, their Levitical sacrifice uh, mindset, he goes into this, this section kind of combating Judaism. Verse 9, for it is a good thing that the heart be established with grace, not with meats, which have not profited them that have been occupied therein. We have an altar whereof... They have no right to eat which serve the tabernacle. For the bodies of those beasts whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned without the camp. Wherefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate or outside the gate. Let us go forth, therefore, unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach for here have we no continuing city, but we have one to come. By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually, that is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. But to do good and to communicate, forget not, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. And maybe a confusing text. I was confused when I first read it, I'll admit it. How do all these things connect? And so the point of preaching is to help us understand the scripture. First of all, what is God saying? And then what is God saying to me? So I hope this can be a help for all of us. Let's pray. Father, we come once again before you, thankful for the word. And thankful, although I don't know if there's anybody in here with a Jewish background, there's still all kinds of other backgrounds and baggage of religion that we carry with us and, and thoughts about you that may not be altogether scriptural and and right. And so correct our thinking if that's what we need. If there's some in here who have not been um, sacrificial enough in our in the way that we can give to you, I pray that they're challenged by that. I pray that everyone in here is encouraged by the word to continue with the sacrifices of 
the things we can do for you, although the sacrificial system has changed, there's so much that, that you accept of us. And so, and so would you be pleased um, by us as we listen to the word tonight? We pray your help in that. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. I enjoy the study of personalities and enjoy figuring out uh, things and people and what works and who's effective and who's warm and nice and warm and cuddly. And I was watching a race car show the other day with my kids, and here's a Lamborghini versus all these sleeper cars. There's a little Honda Civic, and there's an old 19-whatever, 76, some kind of old rust, I think he called it the, the rusty bullet or something, and it's souped up to be a race car. And, and there's a 22-year-old lady that's racing her, some kind of Mitsubishi or something like that. And boy, the hotshot hot supercar driver comes up in here. He shows his, his mansions and his Ferraris. And he just picks one of his supercars to enter the race. And he's belittling everybody else, calling them names. He says, my lot in life is to tell people, if I sense weakness, I'm going to call it out in them. And they're going to be weak and what he equated with weakness was being poor. And boy, he was just a, a big hot shot. It was great to see him come third out of four in the race in his Lamborghini against all these sleeper cars. A Honda Civic won the race of all things. And there's something to that, that element of his personality that really grates on us and yet is, is in so many of these high achievers there's this personality that I seem to pick up on is that they have a very high standard and anybody that doesn't meet that standard is, is somehow less of them. Some people are jerks like the extreme of him and then others are just perfectionists and they're really hard to please. I was listening to an interview this last week of Melinda Gates who by her own admission said, I struggled with perfectionism. I was always trying to just reach these high goals that I had set for myself and realized it was a detriment to my achievement and I had such high goals and nothing could ever be right. And, and yet it brought her to the place of having such high goals that it stretched her to go great places. She went into computer science in an era when not many women were involved in that. She met Bill Gates and married him uh, as a result of a computer science class that she was in. And, and yet she said, it was just like, man, my whole life I've been sort of hard to please. It's been said that Steve Jobs was like that when he was building Apple and then rebuilding Apple from the ground up, basically, that he'd storm into a meeting and he would take over the meeting and he would have hands-on control and he would be the one that would make the shot, call the shots and he would be in complete control because he had such high standards that almost nobody else in the company could meet those standards. And it was like, boy, he is just really hard to please. And yet because of that, people strive so hard to please him and did so much to to, to please the owner. Our newest missionaries, Brother Garen and Annalise Patrick, they were just here a few weeks ago. I think they were here last Sunday night as well, just dropping in. But Brother Garen grew up at the bus ministry of Lancaster Baptist Church, went to Berkeley, and then came back to West Coast, graduated there, and then went on staff there at West Coast Baptist College. We were talking, I mean, at, at Lancaster Baptist Church. We were talking about that, working for Pastor Chapel. What's it like? How's this and that? He worked in the youth department, so they'd have not too much interaction with the adult ministries, but every now and then Pastor Chapel would be passing by, and I was asking him what he learned from, from being there and if it would benefit his future ministry. And he said, yeah, it was, it, was, it was the greatest thing to just get my mind on the details and be really focused 
uh, about the things that mattered and not let anything slip by. And he said, especially for the things Pastor Chapel was going to see, because we were extra careful if Pastor Chapel was going to be passing through there. And, and apparently he's, he's just really particular about some things, notices everything. And in some ways you might say, boy, it's just so hard to please. You might be married to somebody like that. Oh, they're just so hard to please. I just can't do this right. There's just such high standards in this household. I live to serve you, honey. What, can, what more can I do? It's a wife or a husband. He has his sliver of the house that he owns, whatever that is. His car, you know, his, his shop or his garage or one bay of the garage or one shelf in the garage, you know. And nothing can be quite right if this is not, I mean, he has such a high standard and he's so hard to please. Maybe it's, a, maybe it's your daughter, my daughter, Gwen, you know. Boy, she's hard to please, my goodness. She has her particular doll, and it changes every week. So you never know what doll it's going to be that week. But she's got to have it, got to have the right handbag, got to have the right things in the handbag, got to have the right lipstick to go with the handbag. She is just so particular, and she's three years old. I'm in for a really, really hard time because she is hard to please. We think, oh, man, there's so many ways that we think this is so hard to please. My neighbor's lawn is so much better than me. The neighbors are going to think my lawn is terrible, and my neighborhood is hard to please, and everybody's hard to please. And we put that mindset on God, thinking he's the creator of this impeccable universe, and obviously he is hard to please. Boy, he has high standards for us. And so here enters religion that says we are going to do our very best to please the high standards of holiness. And so we're going to enforce holiness. We're going we're to force you to pay or force you to do in some way to reach up to God. And Hebrews is a book to Jews who, who like Pastor said this morning, here's the Old Testament and here's, here's the Talmud. Here's all the interpretations of what the Old Testament is saying. Even just the first five books, they have so many more writings about the Bible than they do the Bible itself, and it's, boy, this heavy burden that they have to carry. And maybe that's carried over into these Christians who are former, uh, uh, who were maybe Jewish by nationality or former Judaistic followers. Maybe they followed the religion of Judaism and had that mentality. Perhaps they were tainted by their old mentality of Judaism. There, there's, there's some historians that think this, this didn't even get rooted out of their mind until some even say the 7th century where it was so ingrained in them and even the Roman politics had oversight but within the Roman oversight there was also a Jewish polit a political system of Judaism that they, the Romans kind of kept their hands off. So some people might have been holding to Judaism because of the political benefits that were associated with it. To not have to go under the Roman system, they stayed under the Judaistic uh, uh, stayed under Judaism, and so there might be Paul, uh, uh, the author here, I believe is Paul, writing to combat that mentality in these Hebrew Christians. And so he's, uh, he's going over and over about, about former Judaism versus Christ. It's this battle between Christ and Judaism where religion says, here's a man and obey him, where Christ says there's... there's there's just a whole different mentality. There's a whole different mindset that's changed here. And so what verse 7 says is remember them which have the rule over you. And this isn't a blanket statement of authority 
that God gives to the pastor. But, but here's the main thing that, that, that we're to remember about the leadership, the spiritual leaders in our lives, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. So specifically, the leaders in your life who are speaking to you the word of God. All the way through this book, there's been an emphasis on the word of God, not the word of man. This is not about following a man's list of rules. It's not about following the, the, the Jewish rabbi's list of rules. This is, not, this is not a blanket authority statement that the pastor has to rule over the people. This is saying, look, take care to listen to the man as long as he's giving you the word of God. And Hebrews 1, he starts the book out by saying this. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in times past by the fathers, uh, uh, unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, who being the brightness of his glory and express image of his person, upholding all things by the word of his power. This is all about the word of God's power, not the word of man's power, not religion, but all about the word of God. Hebrews chapter 2, therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. That's not a reference to what the pastors have preached to them or what the rabbis have taught them, but the inspired word of God that he's reminding them to build their lives upon. Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and joints and marrow and a discerner and thoughts of the thoughts and intents of the heart. That's not the job of the rabbi. That's not the job of the Talmud. This is not the job of the pastor, but it's the job of the word of God. Amen. Neither is there any creature that's not manifest in his sight because all things are naked and open unto eyes of him with whom we have to do. And so the author says, well, yes, remember them that have the rule over you. And, 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 and not that they are the ones that are ruling your life, but, but here's, here's what verse number 7 says, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. Considering means to examine closely, to put it under a microscope, and, and, and I, I think this is referring in the past tense language to those who have passed on the scene, not necessarily the, the current leadership, but remember those. And, and after watching all of their life of leadership, of guidance, of correction, of helping you from the word of God, if you can look at their lives and say they had a faith that was real, they lived and gave their entire lives to Jesus Christ, and at the end of their life, it says, consider the end. Consider the end of them. Consider them, this isn't a fad diet. This isn't a fad religion. This isn't some, some passing trend that's going on. But take these leaders and what they, what they preached. Did it line up with the way they practiced? And if so, well, then follow them whose faith follow. The faith that is accurate, the faith that has been real, the faith that has been anchored in place. We just reprinted some tracks, some fall tracks, and on it says still church, a place that still feels like church. And, and the concept there is that we want to be a church that is anchored to something that's not going to constantly be changing every 10 years or 20 years, or it's not going to constantly be renovating uh, um, everything about the gospel and the approach to the gospel. People ought to be able to come to church and feel anchored and settled in something. We sing some really old hymns here on purpose. I mean, yes, there's new songs, and we'll even, I mean, 
who knows how old that song that was just sung is. It, it may just be written within the past decade. I'm not against new songs. But when we open these hymnals, many of the songs we're singing are hundreds of years old. It's as if we're coming to church and saying, you know what? My faith needs to be anchored to something that's going to outlast just this generation. I'm going to sing a song like At Calvary and Jesus Saves. And these wonderful songs we're able to sing tonight. And yes, they're old. And yes, they're not with the style of the day. And yes, they're a little bit backward from what the rest of the world is singing these days. But I think that's a good thing. I think it's a good thing to be able to anchor ourselves to something that has withstood a lot of trends. I mean, 70s music sounds a little bit different than 2019's music, but those songs lasted through the 70s. And the 50s music sounds a little bit different than the 90s music. And all the music that's in between all these eras, it, there's a song like At Calvary that we sang tonight that has not been tainted by each of these eras, each of these fads that have come through. And he's saying, look, follow a pastor, follow a, a, a man as long as he's in the word of God and as long as he's not changing constantly with the times. Consider the end of that man and their teachings and follow their faith just like Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, verse 8, is the same yesterday, today, forever. If Christianity is a religion that's based in, in Jesus Christ, we're anchored to Jesus Christ, he's not changing. Why should we go to a church that feels like it constantly has to change as well? Why, why don't we anchor ourselves into a faith that is in Jesus Christ who's not going to be passing and changing his mind with the fads, but is constantly anchored to something? And that man, Jesus, verse number 9, anchoring ourselves to Jesus Christ, keeps us from verse number 9, be not carried away with diverse and strange doctrines. You can know that you're saying, you know what, I'm anchoring myself to these fundamentals of the faith. These truths that have lasted for thousands of years now. We're talking about a 2,000-year-old faith, not just a faith from the 50s, not a faith from old-time, old-fashioned type of stuff. But we're talking about a timeless faith that's anchored in Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if I'm anchored to that, then I'm not going to get carried around by all these diverse and strange doctrines that are out there. I'm not going to be confused by these things. And apparently there was a, a, a sort of prayer, that the, this Jewish prayer that was a quote of Psalm 104 and, and verse 14 and 15 that's, that's carried here in some ways, um, uh, not a direct quote, but, but he says in verse number 9, for it's a good thing that the heart be established with grace, not with meats which have not profited them that have occupied therein. And and so pulling from this quote, but twisting it a little bit to Christianize it in some way, he's saying, look, there's an old life, an old part of you that was ritualistic, that was part of, of trusting the meats, trusting these sacrifices to get this, you know, hopefully I can please God. Hopefully he can be pleased. He has such high standards. I'm not sure if I can ever please God, but this sacrifice might do it and that sacrifice might do it. And he's saying, look, we're, we're, we're not people of meats anymore. We're not people of sacrifices anymore. This is not a part of a religion that we're following. Verse number 10, we have an altar. We do have an altar. Yeah, but you just said we've done away with the altar. There's no more sacrifices? Well, yeah, we have an altar. Um, whereof they have no right to eat, which serve the tabernacle. When I was with the teens, we did a series 
through the book of Leviticus. It was the strangest series, but to me it helped. Somebody called Leviticus the backbone of the New Testament. We studied every single type of offering that they would give. And we think of offerings many times in the Old Testament as burnt sacrifices. Everything is burnt sacrifices. Just kind of willy-nilly, one day they kind of, let's, let's go bring a cow to the priest. And then they'd kill the cow, catch some blood. Sometimes they'd sprinkle it. Some, who knows what they would do. They would hoist the cow up on the altar and just burn it. And they'd burn the entire cow up, and that's okay. They did a sacrifice. And that's how our mentality of sacrifices were because we, didn't, we weren't there. But there are so many different sacrifices and so many different reasons for giving sacrifices. And sometimes it was a burnt sacrifice. Sometimes it was a sin offering where they would burn the entire, the entire cow on the, on the altar itself. But there were other times where they would only take the inward parts of the cow and burn that. And then the rest of the cow or whatever the offering was, sometimes it was grain, sometimes it was cooked bread, sometimes it was leavened bread, sometimes it was unleavened bread. Whatever it was, whatever their offering was, there were different reasons for that. Sometimes they would break off a piece of that, cast it into the fire, but the rest of that food was given to the priests. And they would take that food, they would take it home, and, and dinner every single night for the priest. What are we having for dinner, Dad? All leftovers. You know, the neighbor's leftovers. That was their dinner. That was the way that they survived. They didn't own anything. They didn't own land. They didn't own cattle. They didn't own anything of their, themselves. The Levites were fed by the people's sacrifices. And so the author of Hebrews says, we have an altar that not even... There's, there's nobody that's going to be able to eat of this sacrifice that we give. Isn't that, are, are you seeing that? Let's see, verse number 10. Whereof they have no right to eat which serve the tabernacle. Talking about the Levitical priests here. The ones who serve the tabernacle aren't going to get a chance to take a slice out of this sacrifice that we're giving. Out of this altar. So we, there's, they have no rights here to be a priest in in Christendom, in Christianity, doesn't give you any further rights for somebody to say, but I'm a Levite, I'm a priest, that doesn't get you in good with Christ. He levels the playing field and makes us all priests. So, so just because you're a Levi Levitical priest doesn't make you any better than anybody else. This, this isn't just another daily sacrifice where you can take a chunk off of it and take it home and feed it to your family as a way to eat. The, these, this is a special sacrifice that was kind of a once and done sacrifice. And that's really the point Paul's been making through this book is that Jesus Christ is a better sacrifice. And really he's referring to one sacrifice in particular. The highest sacrifice of all was this one day a year, the Day of Atonement, where it was a solemn day. They shut everything down and watched the high priest perform this sacrifice. And they had multiple sacrifices on that day. They had a sin atonement to cover all of the priests that were doing the duties of the sacrifice. They had another burnt sacrifice to cover the temple, the, I mean the tabernacle itself, like the physical poles and, 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 and the structure itself. They had a sacrifice that would cleanse and make the building itself a holy building because it was built by unholy people. And to house the very presence of God, it needed to be sanctified, meaning made holy. And so there were sacrifices throughout that day. There were sacrifices for the people placed on the scapegoat. But one of the sacrifices was that they would take the, uh, uh, the skin and the entrails of one of these animals and they would take it outside of the camp 
Leviticus 16 says they would burn it. Leviticus 16, 27. And the bullock for the sin offering and the goat for the sin offering, whose blood was brought in to make atonement, shall one carry forth without the camp or outside the camp, and they shall burn it in fire, their skins and their flesh and their dung. No one can eat that sacrifice. And, and so the author here is saying there's a sacrifice that is better than that. And, and oh, look at this. Let us, oh, verse 12, verse 12, uh, 11. For the bodies of those beasts whose blood is brought into the sanctuary for the high priest for sin are burned without the camp. Wherefore, Jesus also, verse 12, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. Now, outside the camp, was like leaving Judaism, was like leaving to this, this place that is defiled. Only the camp itself was the holy place of God's people. And to go outside the camp was only for the place of dung and refuse. And, and for Jesus to be led out of the holy city, to be led outside this place of holiness, this author is saying, yeah, our sacrifice, it might be completely upside down to what their mentality was, that this is a this is, this is absurd to think that your sacrifice was sacrificed outside the holy city. This can't be. Just like Jesus this morning, we learned about Jesus doing all these things on the Sabbath day. It like blew their minds. This can't be. I can't believe you're doing such profane things on the Sabbath day like working. It's like the very sacrifice of Christ, verse number 13, uh, is outside the camp. And the verse number 13 says, let us go forth. Therefore, unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach. His reproach. It, it, was a, it was a reproach to go outside the city to that hill called Calvary. It was a reproach to be crucified. It was an embarrassment. It was, it was to, to name the name of Christ was identifying with that horrible person who stood against Judaism. He was a terrible, terrible man in their mind, this Jesus. How could he be something like that? And yet Jesus is saying that's exactly the point. It's to be completely upside down to what the world has, to what religion has. And pleasing God is not about conforming to some standard of we have to live in the holy city. We have to do the sacrifices this particular way or they don't count. And then maybe, maybe we can please God. Psalm says, because for thy sake I have borne reproach. Shame hath covered my face. It was a re the cross of Calvary was a reproachful a disgusting, a terrible thing. And the blood of Jesus Christ, uh, verse 13, let us go therefore unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach. Uh, 14. For here we have no continuing city, but we seek one to come. We seek one to come. We, we don't have a holy city anymore. Judaism is, is no longer this holy site. Jerusalem itself is no longer this holy site to Christians. It's not like we have a holy place where we have to take a pilgrimage to. But there is one to come. There is this holy city that Christ has sanctified. There is a new Jerusalem. There is this beautiful presence of Jesus Christ, and yet we're not there right now. It, it, Jesus, Jesus was a Jew and so he's all wrapped up in Judaism when he was growing up. He understands the Jews, but what he did was completely turn Judaism upside down. And what he's doing here in this text is saying religion is going to tell you one thing, and Christ is going to tell you something completely different, and you can't have both. 
It's almost like they were trying to meld Christianity with Judaism. And, and this author is saying that is not going to work. These are mutually exclusive. These are two completely separate thing, things with Jesus Christ in the center. Verse 15, by him, therefore, let us offer a sacrifice of praise to God. See, God does have a high standard. Religion says I can work my way to him. Jesus Christ says I've already done all the work. Don't worry about it. But then here we are stuck in the middle saying, okay, if Christ has done all the work, does that mean I have to do nothing? I mean, I'm here at church and I want to serve God. I, he's taken my sins. He's done all that sacrifice for me. So I feel like I should do something for him. Well, well yeah, verse 15. Therefore, let's offer a sacrifice of praise. It does tell us what we can do. And even the Old Testament was hinting at it, not the blood of bulls or the blood of goats. That's not going to be it, but a sacrifice of praise. There is a sort of sacrifice we can still give to God. That's the beauty of Christianity, that it's not conformity to some system that will make us right with God. It's not, it's not following some list of rules or a man's list of rules that we are supposed to follow. What Christianity is all about is just understanding that we have a different kind of sacrifice to give now. And, and we're not butchers anymore. We're not capturing blood. We're not sprinkling it on, on an altar. But we do have an altar. And, and, and yet it looks completely different. Really, this, this altar is on our, our hearts. And Jesus Christ takes the, takes the level up a little bit, but it also allows us to do it in such a unique way, in a precious and a special way. Verse number 15, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. Well, what does that mean? Well, that is... The fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. And this is not a simple, I mean, it's not a difficult concept. The way we sacrifice today is not physically, but it's just through this, exactly what it says. The sacrifice, God, the best that I can give you. If I can't give you a blood or some kind of financial, what can I give you? Well, why don't you praise me? Why don't you give me a sacrifice that you can do and, and, and put my name on your lips? Really, that's the cheapest gift we can give to God, and that's the one that he pleasures in. That's the thing that God loves to hear from us is the sacrifice of praise to him, coming from a heart that just is thankful to him for everything that he has given to us. That is our sacrifice as Christians. We don't have to meet together and, you know, try to have a, our own Passover time, or we don't have to observe the Jewish days as if it's going to give us some kind of deeper significance. The greatest significance we have is not observing the Sabbath day as if, you know, I, I've got to be this, this Baptist Sabbath follower and I'm not going to do anything on Saturdays. That's not, that's not worth anything to God in this way. The thing that is precious to God is the sacrifice of praise. The giving of thanks to his name. That's what we can give God. Boy, I don't know if I can ever please God. His standards are so high. I don't know if I can ever meet his standards. He's kind of lowered the standards. It's super simple for anybody to please God. Yes, he has a high standard, but we can meet it pretty easily by just praising him. And that's not, this is, this is, out of the realm of nobody, there's everybody in here that is able to offer praise to God. We do it corporately in church every single week. We do it on purpose by, by opening 
a book of praise, a book of truths about God. And we give you the opportunity to edify one another, but also sing forth your praise to God. When we're singing at Calvary, when we're singing victory in Jesus, this is our, our, re, our time of rejoicing, the fact that we get to sing to God. And I take such pleasure in leading the singing of Calvary Baptist Church to be able to see basically 100% of the people opening their mouths and singing to God and be able to lead this choir that is just a, a, a weekly sacrifice of praise. It's precious. I believe it's precious to God, too. I think if that's the thing that pleases God, then, then boy, if we can do it, let's do it. This praise is our sacrifice. It's the way that we can sing to God. I'm not super big on experiential praise. I'm not super big on altering the, the, the mood of the music or really changing the lighting. I think a lot of that is, is trying to manufacture an emotion that, that I think truth should be the one that manufactures the emotion. And, and I'm of the opinion that if there's the truths of amazing grace, there's, you know, there's alternate tunes to that song, and I... I'm okay with those as well, but sometimes when I sing the new tunes to some of these songs, I think, wait, was it broken before? Is it, is it not clicking for some reason? Is there something wrong with the old way that we've been singing this song? Or, or are you trying to adapt the style? Well, the new style will help us get into the truth a little bit more. I don't know. I think when people really get into music, it feels to me like they're getting into the music and not the truth. The truth is 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 always the same, no matter what style of music is there. So it seems like we should be able to sing the truth and be affected by the truth as, as our sacrifice of praise to God. This is not a feeling we get out of the music. This is our expression to God. Singing is not something we, uh, um, our, our goal of singing is not to benefit ourselves. It's to, it's to offer it to God. It's our sacrifice to God. That's why we encourage 100% participation. Well, I'm not a very good singer. It's not about whether you're a good singer or not. It's about what are you giving to God. The one thing we can give to God is a sacrifice of praise. This is our way of giving to God. Who owns a cattle on a thousand hills? Who knows our hearts? Who knows us inside and out? And yet the one thing we can do is thank God. And one of the ways we do it through our church is through singing. And so none of this... You, you know, not, not, not this half-hearted stuff. I'm just kind of making through because I have to, and it's church time. It's what we do. We sing three songs, choir does their thing, and they go down. Then it's the preaching time. Let's go, let's go on and move. No, no, no. This is a precious time where we're meeting together, and we're singing the truths that I have victory in Jesus Christ that he's given me so much. I will praise him. I will praise him. Praise the lamb for sinners slain. That's not just words. This is our sacrifice to God. This is the way that God is pleased. This is the way that we can please somebody who has extremely, eternally high standards. Our sacrifice is truthful praise, thanksgiving, thanking God for what he's done for us through prayer, yes, through song, through conversation, just through the general course of life. Um, um, let us offer the sacrifice of, of praise to God continually. As if it's a way of life that it's always on our lips that, oh, thank the Lord. Bless the Lord. This is great. I'm really thankful to God for giving me this job. And boy, oh, praise the Lord. I did good on that presentation, but it really wasn't me. That was the Lord. Everything on your lips is just thanking God and deflecting all the praise to him. He's given me, he's given me everything that I have. That is the heart that's here. And then verse 16, but to do good and to communicate, forget not. 
So there's other sacrifices. There's ways we can give to God. Do good. Pastor preached all about that last week. The first seven verses or so. Letting brotherly love continue, not forgetful to entertain strangers. All of that. There's that all, that's all encompassing in this do good statement. And to communicate, there is a financial aspect of, of, of gracious giving and hospi- hospitality and, and being kind to other people through our finances. That's what communicate means there. You can look that up and do your own research. But, but this is not an obligatory giving. It's not, a, it's not anything that's forced on you. But it's saying, you know what, God, everything that I have, I want to give to you. And that includes my my pocketbook. And so the author says, do good and communicate, forget not. Here it is, verse 16. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. He has such a high standard. I don't know if I can ever please him. I can never do enough to, to be to be pleasing. I can never meet that standard. I, I don't know if I can ever match up to what God wants me to be. Here's him lowering the bar and saying, look, all I want is your true sacrifice of praise. And just do good. And communicate and love other people and help other people. Can we please God? Can I ever please God? Could he ever be pleased? Well, apparently he can. And it's pretty awesome. We can do it every single Sunday, every single Wednesday night. Every single time we have a a, a chance to praise him and thank him with our lips, that is our sacrifice today. And much of that doesn't cost us anything. We're the priests now. We are priests in our own right. We come directly to God with praise, not going through anyone else. And really what he's writing to these these Judaizers, these from the Jewish mentality that it's saying, can I, can I give enough to God? And he says, yes, there's plenty of sacrifices, spiritual sacrifices that we can give to God. Praise him, give, and let's do good. Stand if you would, please. We're going to sing a quick song of invitation. 816, we'll sing tonight, Have Thine Own Way. Maybe there's some who haven't been offering a wholehearted type of sacrifice to God. Maybe it's been half-hearted. Maybe it hasn't been too powerful or meaningful or uh, intentional. And so maybe the invitation is to you. Maybe there's some who've been trying to work their way to God and he's He's recorrecting some of that, some of that mentality tonight. I don't know what it is, but you're invited to talk to God about that on your own at this altar this evening. I'm going to pray, and then we'll sing 816. You're invited to come. Let's pray. Father, I, I want every Christian in here to not feel obligated to serve you. I don't think that's the, that's the, the truth of Scripture. I, I truly believe that. Um, all of Christianity is about responding to your goodness and about, um, uh, about serving you out of love and about loving our neighbor because um, we know how good it is to serve you and how wonderful it is to serve you. We want others involved in that. And God, we praise you every single week, not again out of obligation or out of even love of the music itself, but out of love of you. And so we offer this sacrifice to you of ourselves. We give ourselves every single week through, I guess, the greatest way we can, one of the greatest ways we can, really, and 
So would you please be accepting of this sacrifice of praise that we give to you and our humbled hearts before you. And bless us as a church as we try to do that corporately and as we try to help each other do that as well. Thank you for the word and for the help that it gives to us. And bless us tonight, our Father. We pray these things tonight in Christ's name. Amen. And as we